Hello, and welcome to 15-Minute History. We sort of propose the idea, in a variety of ways, that if you consider 1619 as the foundational date of the country, rather than 1776, it just changes your understanding, and we call that a reframing of American history. Jake Silverstein, editor of the New York Times Magazine, on the 1619 Project. In August 2019, the New York Times commemorated the 400-year anniversary of the first black Africans arriving in the New World by launching a long-form journalism effort called the 1619 Project. Developed by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the project was designed to shift the focus of American history away from the Revolution and the founding and hone in on the experiences of black Americans both before and after the Civil War. The 1619 Project immediately attracted both praise and criticism from historians and pundits alike, and became another partisan football in the ongoing culture war that rages in the United States. There isn't time to address the many controversies that arose from the project in this episode, though I expect Joe will ask me about several in our discussion. Instead, for this final What If bonus episode, I want to look at how American history might be changed if what the 1619 Project's authors believe was factually true. What our country might have done differently if, as Nicole Hannah-Jones and others believe, the United States of America was actually founded to protect slavery and promote white supremacy. From the time of the earliest European settlements in the New World, the dreadful practice of chattel slavery was present on its shores. Like most societies throughout history, the English, French, Spanish, and Dutch all permitted what became known as the Peculiar Institution, and many native tribes in North and South America also owned slaves. The first Africans who arrived in Virginia in August 1619 became the core of a small community that eventually intermingled with the white majority. Whether or not they were slaves is the subject of debate, but it is a fact that for a time there was a general sense of equality between white and black citizens of Virginia. However, by the 1640s, the practice of generational human bondage had emerged in all 13 colonies, and there was a consensus in the English-speaking New World that slavery was necessary for economic reasons. The first abolitionists began to question slavery in the late 1680s, and the movement grew slowly at first, but eventually became the dominant progressive force in American politics. It was not confined to the 13 colonies, and gradually the nations of Europe abolished the practice at home, though they allowed it to continue in their colonies elsewhere in the world. By 1804, the northern states had abolished slavery, though it took decades for the last slaves to be freed, and it remained legal in the South. The abolitionist movement continued to push for an end to the peculiar institution, but it was not until the Civil War broke out in 1861 that what we would now call a serious national conversation began about ridding the United States of its greatest shame. The 13th Amendment accomplished this in 1866, and the 14th and 15th Amendments enshrined legal equality for all races into the Constitution. Tragically, African Americans suffered the pains of segregation and abuse for many years to come, and only in 1964 did the federal government act decisively to finally protect all of its citizens from the evil legacy of racism. What if? What if, as the authors of the 1619 Project suggest, the United States was founded on the idea that slavery was necessary and should have been protected and expanded in the New World? There is certainly some evidence to support part of their claim, 
Both the Second Continental Congress and the Philadelphia Convention declined to abolish slavery in the charter documents they produced, the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, respectively. However, the 1619 Project runs afoul of the facts when it claims that the American Revolution was fought explicitly to protect slavery. No one in the colonies was concerned that Great Britain was on the verge of abolishing slavery. Britain's emancipation occurred 30 years after the war, and in his first draft of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson accused King George III of enslaving people and transporting them to the colonies. A decade later, as the Constitution was being written, Delegates in Philadelphia who wanted to enshrine slavery's continuation into the document were outvoted every time they introduced that language. If the United States was founded to promote white supremacy, both of its founding documents would probably have included statements to protect slavery from the abolitionists. And when the northern states began to end slavery, the federal government would have acted to stop this attempt to bring about equality between the races. In the decade before the Civil War, many Northerners risked legal sanction and even imprisonment to aid fugitive slaves. They hid them in their homes as part of Harriet Tubman's Underground Railroad network, refused to follow the orders of commissioners sent into northern cities to hunt runaways, and spoke openly of slavery's evils in border regions and in the South. This would seem to suggest that the 1619 Project's authors are right, but it is important to note that except for the 1850 Fugitive Slave Act, all laws being opposed or broken by the abolitionists were southern statutes. The federal government permitted the states to write their own laws when it came to human bondage. Once again, a nation founded explicitly to protect slavery would not have allowed its states to oppose it. Would a country whose founders wanted to protect white supremacy have fought a war in which over 400,000 of its soldiers died to free their fellow citizens from bondage? Possibly. But again, the 1619 Project ignores the fact that the founding documents on which all laws were based included mechanisms to eventually end slavery. The abolition of the slave trade in Article 1, Section 9 weakened the power of the slave states by denying them a source of imported labor and new votes in Congress, and the amendment process gave the states the chance to end slavery peacefully. Tragically, this did not occur, and though the Civil War was also fought for other reasons, slavery was a central element in the conflict. The results speak for themselves. Nearly half a million dead Union soldiers, including tens of thousands of free blacks who fought for the abolitionist cause. The soil of the United States is stained with the blood of men and women who heard the battle cry of freedom, and it is difficult to see how this could have happened in a country that was built on slavery and white supremacy. Our World Today most supporters of the 1619 Project acknowledge the progress America made after the Civil War toward equality, the anti-slavery amendments, the growing public opposition to segregation, and the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s. However, they still insist that our society is built on what they call systemic racism, that even with equality written into the law, African Americans still face barriers that whites do not. Is this true? Of course. There are still racist people and groups in American society, and some do still take actions to deny their black countrymen the equality guaranteed to them by the law. The 1619 Project points to higher incarceration and drug use rates, poverty in African American and other minority communities, and even unequal medical treatment and climate crises as evidence of systemic racism. I am not here to suggest that any of these are misinterpretations of the facts on the ground today, and where there are genuine instances of legal repression, it is the responsibility of every clear-thinking American to oppose them with all their strength. 
But again, to insist that the Founding Fathers and the documents they wrote are the source of this systemic racism is counterfactual history at its worst. These claims, made by the 1619 Project, ignore the two centuries of gradual and painful progress the United States has made, and they also confuse legal racism with social racism. As we have talked about in this podcast before, solving the problem of systemic racism in law is far easier than addressing its root cause in the hearts and minds of ignorant proponents. Government can and should change laws to protect citizens equally, but enforcing a change of heart by legal fiat is almost impossible. Sadly, many of the policies that the 1619 Project suggests to do just that, such as reparations, more affirmative action, and the teaching of critical race theory, actually make things worse because they create a backlash against minorities and cause some in America to forget the real oppression their ancestors faced. This runs contrary to the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose dream of a nation where all citizens are judged by the content of their character instead of the color of their skin. It also distorts the past to promote a political agenda, the most dangerous sort of counterfactual history. As Professor Sean Willens, a respected expert on the American Revolution, noted in his critique of the 1619 Project, quote, No effort to educate the public in order to advance social justice can afford to dispense with a respect for basic facts, unquote. Sadly, this is what the 1619 Project does. <laughs> 